Okay, good morning, everybody. Welcome back. My name's Tim Jones, and it's my pleasure to be able to open up the Word of God with you here this morning. We're in a, the second week of our series in Matthew, the making of, makings of an overthrow, and uh, we're going to, be, going to be hearing about the baptism of Jesus this morning. It's a very, very profound passage of Scripture, and we've got a short video to show you uh, with a reading of that Scripture. This is a reading taken from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptised by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfil all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptised, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Great, let's pray. Just open your hearts. Lord, we want so much to be taught by you this morning. We want so much to be uh, educated in your ways. We want to know you as you are. But Lord, we want to meet with you as well. We want, we want by your Holy Spirit for you to come and move us, to change us, to do us good, to do things that we don't even uh, have the words to explain. Lord, I want to pray that you, the living God, come and minister to us uh, as, is, as is your will, Lord, as is your desire. Lord, we want to say, have a free reign in us, point things out to us in our own hearts that, uh, that, that you want to call into question. And Lord, be the lifter of our heads. Be the one who brings joy to each one of us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week we, we started off, and we started in chapter 3, looking at the character of John the Baptist and uh, the strange ways that he uh, exploded onto the scene just with an incendiary message telling people, turn back to God, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here, it's not, it's not coming along, it's here, and it's decision time. And because of that, we saw that he led basically the biggest revival that had happened in 400 years. All of the people of uh, Jerusalem and Judea, and it said beyond the Jordan, it said the place was like a ghost town, because everyone's going out to be baptized by John as a response to his message, which was turn to God. And if you read the Old Testament, this is repeatedly the message of those prophets. John is basically the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's one who comes along and says, turns the hearts of the children back to the Father and is uh, expecting a Messiah to appear. We know this. We read in other places in the Gospels that uh, he points to Jesus himself and he says, that one, who's actually, Jesus is a relative of his. He points to him and he says, Look, there is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And what he means is that's the sacrifice that ends all sacrifices. It, it puts people right with God. His sacrifice is the one that all the other sacrifices point to. And he's keen that people see this, that this is the person. Now, Matthew doesn't record that bit here. What he records directly after all of the, all of the people who have responded in their hearts saying, yeah, okay, we need to turn to God. I need God to be the one who calls the shots in my life. I need to acknowledge that I've walked away from him, and I need to walk towards him, not thinking too much about what it is I'm walking away from, but thinking about the one that I'm walking to, 
That's, that was the big point last week when we were saying repentance really isn't just about feeling bad and uh, feeling sorry, largely for yourself, but feeling, feeling sorry for your sins even. You, you have that aspect, but it's all under the heading of the one that you're turning to, that you're turning to one who is going to bring you joy and is going to set things right. Okay, so all of these common people were going along. Then some religious authorities were going along as well. So we listed the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those kind of left-wing and right-wing authorities. You know, we, we said that they wouldn't normally be seen in a room together except when it's uh, to gang up on John. And they turned up and, and came to John's baptism. The first thing that he does is calls them children of Satan. He, he says, you're a brood of vipers. You're, you're, you're snake children. You're, you're kids of a snake. And he calls them out on their religious hypocrisy. He says that, you know, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? You're not humbling yourself. You're not saying, I want to turn to God. You're saying, how can I fit God into my schema? How can I I use God as a, a, a power play or something like that? He's not interested in that. So those are the two things that have proceeded. What happens now is that this one who John knows to be the Messiah, that is the promised king, who will be a divine king, who will reign on David's throne forever. This one turns up, and John is really wrong-footed because there are two things that John knows about messiahs. Yeah, Two things that he knows about messiahs. I say it plurally, there is one. If you're looking for a messiah, if you're on a messiah hunt, the thing that you're looking for is firstly that he's going to come along and he's going to be coming to judge He's coming to judge. He's, he's already said, there's, there's a disciple coming after me who's greater than me. I just baptize people with water for repentance. But he's coming to baptize with fire and with the Holy Spirit. He's going he's gonna to immerse people into God. And he recognizes actually being immersed into God can be quite a problem for us because God is, as we said last week, a consuming fire. That's the writer of the Hebrews. He says, our God is a consuming fire. That is a problem with being baptized into a consuming fire. You can read those words a bit lazily. Say, oh, I expect it would be quite nice to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. Not for everyone. All right? It very much depends on how much you have the spiritual asbestos that allows you to be baptized into that holy fire. And we said that if you're in Christ, you are fully protected. You are fully accepted by this God who is a consuming fire. And you can walk into the very midst of his presence and not be consumed because he sees you in the beloved. That means in Jesus. And um, Jesus turns up not to lay the smack down as John expects. John, John is expecting the Messiah will come, and he says, look, his, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff, and he's going to burn the chaff. He's going to get it burned. And he's expecting that to happen then. This is the thing with John. He's expecting the Messiah to come and bring peace to those who turn to him, but bring immediate justice to those who don't. So he expects the Messiah to be one who comes to judge. He expects the Messiah also, the second thing, to be one who is completely just, who's completely righteous in himself. Think again about that baptism that he's administering to people. He's dunking them one after another for repentance. He's dunking them so that they they turn away from their unrighteousness to the righteous one. And now he sees the one who he knows to be the righteous one coming to him. We read it in the scripture, we heard it read, where it's saying, 
I need to be baptized by you, says John. And do you come to me? <laughs> so he recognizes something. He says, look, if anyone's going to be doing the baptizing, it needs to be you. You're the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire. And I need, I need to be baptized by you. I know my need of you. And Jesus says something to him which you might have found a bit uh, confusing. Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Okay. You've got to say to yourself, that probably sounded better in the original language. There's got to, you've got to say to yourself, I'm sure that that rolled off the tongue a bit easier. I mean, one of, the, one of the great things about having the video is that you don't have to pronounce things like that when you're speaking. You know, I was very glad to not have to say, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to us to fulfill all righteousness. Yeah? It doesn't work, does it? <laughs> What's he saying? He wants to fulfill all righteousness. So some people will read it as him just saying, look, I'm just doing what's right. I'm, 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 I'm doing the right thing. Yeah, fair enough. There is something there. And you link it to what, uh, what you see in verse 17 where the father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You notice you've got the trinity on display here. Don't let that pass you by. You've got the father speaking over the son, the son being obedient, and the Holy Spirit coming down, that, what, that Holy Spirit in whom everyone who believes in Jesus will be baptized. That's the promise for them. Um, and what you've got here is Jesus saying that he's going to fulfill all righteousness. He's not just saying, I'm going to do the right thing. He's saying, I'm going to fulfill everything that God has spoken about his plan for humanity. He's saying something much bigger. He's saying something huge here. It's an identity thing. So, Let's just pause on that for a second, because I want us to drill into uh, what, what's actually happening here. What's, what's the phenomenon that's going on? John himself is being confused. He's being severely uh, curveballed by the Son of God. And it's not the last time that that will happen. We'll do more on John's reactions to Jesus later in this gospel. But what we're having is... Basically, the question of identity raised. We're having the question of identity raised. This is a question for our times as well, actually, isn't it? It's the question of who, who am I? Uh, what am I for? Who do I identify with? What causes do I identify with? Who do I identify as? And that's a really complex thing. But we're seeing Jesus here identifying with people, with a cause. We're seeing him here identified as something by God. And actually, I'm going to propose today that our problems with what we should identify as are solved by Jesus' answer of who he identifies with. And that's what we'll look at as we go into it. Let me just think about this issue of identity as it pertains to us. I, mean, I think it is very much obvious that it's a question of our age that we ask, who am I? Uh, we see it in uh, TV programs where, you, where you, uh, if you've got enough profile, you can go and trace on, on screen who, who do you think you are, and you can, you can uh, do a little bit of that. I sometimes do it in that week between Christmas and New Year where you just like, I've got nothing to do now. Free, uh, free trial membership on Ancestry. You can go and have a look and see just how Welsh you are. And I'm always pleased with the results, very Welsh. Um, and you've got extensions of that now, haven't you? So like Ancestry and I believe DNA.com where you can take a bit of a swab and you can pop it in a jar, send it off, and they'll send you a full-on profile of who you are. 
that, that really appeals to people because people want to know who they are. You want to know who you are. You, you do. You want to know, who am I? Yeah, that's right. You want to know, who am I? And to see it on a graph can actually, I don't know, maybe for a time, really help you. Oh, I can identify as this. I was listening to a podcast about this uh, in the week, and um, one of the girls who was speaking on there relayed the story of her mum, who had, had, sent off, um, had sent off the swab, sent it off, and got, got the graph back. And she found out that she was 1%, 1% Jewish. Yeah? She was 1% Jewish. And she was over the moon. She was so pleased. She said, yeah, my mom now, basically, she just signs off all her emails, shalom. That's, that's, how, it, that's how it goes now, because she is 1%. She has managed to stake the claim. She's saying, I've found something to hang my hat on. I've found a tribe with which to belong. And, and Ancestry or DNA or whoever it was has done this for me. They sent me the graph, and I've got it in black and white. So it's important to us, and we want to know uh, what we are. We want to know what we are. But what we see in here is something radically different, and it has great bearing on us as Jesus identifies with a certain cause, with people, and then as he is identified as something by the Father. How he, uh, who he identifies with tells us what we identify as. So the first thing that to see in this, uh, these five verses is that the Son identifies with us. He says, look, that's, that's what this to fulfill all righteousness actually means. It means that God has been crafting a people for himself. Now, Matthew, Matthew's very keen to show that Jesus is the new Israel. If you read through uh, chapters 1 and 2, you see that Jesus is, is born into the world. He's incarnated. The, the Father sends his Son into the world. And he comes in the likeness of uh, sinful flesh. He's born of a virgin. And then he's taken to Egypt in exile. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you know that this happens to the people of God, that they end up in exile in Egypt. So the, the story closes in Genesis with uh, the story of Joseph, and he's brought all of his family down there to avoid the famine in the land. Uh, and they, then the curtain raises again at the beginning of Exodus, and you see that they've actually become prisoners in the land of Egypt. It says that another pharaoh rose up who didn't know anything about those things, and they became slaves. So they're enslaved in Egypt. And as a prophetic statement, God takes his people out of Egypt. He shows, I'm the God who sets people free. I'm the God who takes people who can't help themselves, who are imprisoned, who are enslaved, and I bring them through the waters of judgment, out the other side, unscathed, and I destroy their enemies behind. And this is what we're seeing in in Matthew's arrangement of the facts here. You see that actually he's already talked about Jesus going to Egypt in exile and being taken out. And then here, Jesus is going through those waters and he's coming out the other side. Then what's going to happen to him next? Well, I'll give you a spoiler on Matthew 4. Uh, for when Joel comes back, he's going to be tested in the wilderness. What happens to them immediately after they come through the water? They go out into the wilderness and they're tested there, and they put God to the test, and they, they fail. They put God to the test. But what we see in Jesus walking the path correctly, fulfilling all righteousness, is that he goes into the desert and is tested and prevails by the power of the Word and the Holy Spirit, where he's baptized here and receiving the Holy Spirit and using the Word of God. He is fulfilling all righteousness. 
That's what Matthew wants you to see as he presents this. He is the true Israel. He is fulfilling all righteousness on behalf of the people of God. And he's bringing in all of the nations into the people of God. He's doing, uh, doing that role which was given to Israel. Be a light for the nations. Well, here he is. Here he is. And so he's fulfilling all righteousness in this. He's, uh, it goes back further than Israel, actually. He's going back not just to identifying with Israel and their mission, but going right back to Adam. He's the new Adam, and he's, co- he's coming to live human life properly, to redeem the whole of humanity. It, if you can cast your mind back to when we did the Apostles' Creed last term, if you were here with us, you remember we had a sermon where we talked about his identification with us in descending to the dead. And we said that creed each week, descended to the dead. And we got a greater understanding that actually there is, there's a total continuity of this work, that there's the incarnation, there's a humbling that Jesus does in terms of coming and being one of us, just a human, representing humanity. Now there's a stepping down into the water of baptism, the sinner's baptism. You realize that? You, you, don't let it pass you by what he's doing when he gets into that same water. John's right to be shocked when he says, I should be baptized by you. You don't need this. You're turned to God. That's, that's you. That is your thing. You're turned to God. And here you are coming and stepping into the water. For John, he's looking and he's like, this is like someone completely pure and clean stepping into a sewer. This is not for you. You're the Messiah. You're the one who's there to pull us out. And he's saying, when he says it's right for, to fulfill all righteousness, he's saying, if I'm going to pull you out, I have to get in. This is the identification that's happening here, the cause that he's identifying with, the plight of a fallen humanity. He comes down into that dirty water for the sake of then going further down. He goes onto the cross, carries those sins, carries those sins. Imagine the water is the sins. He's gone in and said, okay, I'm identifying with this. I'm completely pure, and I'm going to take these on myself, and then I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to use death to kill sin, to kill death, and then I'm going to go to the dead. So, again, look, identification that goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And I wanted to recall that that, uh, time that we were looking at the part of the Apostles' Creed where he identifies even to the point of not just dying on the cross, but going to the dead to unlock death itself, to come and take people who have been robbed, who have been stolen, and say, no, mine, mine. Actually, I stake the claim of a new humanity. I stake the claim of life over death. It's magnificent. And so see it in context. This is what's happening when we see the baptism of Jesus. It's part of his identification with us story and his fulfilling of all righteousness. It says in Isaiah 53, 12, he poured out his soul to death and he was numbered with the transgressors. Can you believe this is in the Old Testament? This is written 600 years before Jesus. It's like the fifth gospel. It says, he poured out his soul to death and he was numbered with the transgressors. He was counted amongst the sinners. He said, count me in. Not because I'm a sinner, but because I will be counted. I will stand amongst them for their good, for the unsinning of their lives. Yet he, firstly, bore the sin of many, took the sin on, and secondly, 
makes intercession for the transgressors. Again, a huge mouthful way of saying, he prays for you. He prays for you. Now, forever. He perfects the prayers we pray to the Father. When we wake up bleary-eyed in the morning and garble out some prayer about how, hoping our day goes well and we get a parking space, he, he, takes, he takes the corrupted and the half prayers that we pray and prays them par excellence. And God loves it. He loves your prayers because he's incorporated you in the beloved. He perfects your praying and he prays for you. Does that sound like someone who's for you or against you? That's someone who's for you. That's someone who's for you. You want to trust this one. You want to trust in him and lean heavily upon him. In Hebrews 2.17 it says, He had to be made like his brothers in every respect, his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. To make propitiation, to cause God to look with a huge smile over us because sins are dealt with. Sins are done away with in the wisdom and the power of God. He is provided in this way. You see uh, this kind of identification going on in, uh, in the Bible. There's little clues throughout. You see it in the story of Ruth, how she identifies with... Uh, she's a Moabitess, and it says all the way through the book of Ruth, if you read that short book, every time she's mentioned, it says, Ruth, the Moabitess. Ruth, the Moabitess. You know, it's like if I kept saying, Simon the Frenchman, Simon the Frenchman. And you know, I, really want, I really want you to get into your head that this guy is not from here. You know, come Brexit, there's going to be some fireworks because he's Simon the Frenchman. And basically, I, I'm there laboring the point, Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth the Moabitess. And the whole point of the story is actually that she identifies herself with Yahweh. She identifies herself with his people, with the people of God. And he accepts it. And he puts her in the lineage, if you read uh, Matthew 1, of Jesus. He, he, he brings her right in. He's saying, yeah, okay, that's going to be a little clue of how this identification thing works, identifying with, uh, with the living God. There's some of you today which, uh, where you'll start feeling a bit of a twinge at this point. You'll start just thinking to yourself, okay, it sounds good insofar as it goes. But I need to do something. I need to... I, he can't really accept me. I can't accept that he has done it all. But that's what I'm asking you to do today. If you're a Christian, if you're not, if you're somewhere in between, I'm asking you to accept that he has done it all. Jesus has done it all. It could be so hard to believe. Sometimes you can get a bit comfortable with your shame. You can get a bit... And don't get me wrong, shame's never comfortable in the absolute sense, but you can get a bit used to living with it. You can get a bit used to living with a substandard life. And it, get, it becomes literally better the devil you know. No, friend, listen to that. Better the devil you know. This, this, there is an enemy who would say to you, stay with your shame. It can never be forgiven. You can't turn away. You can't bring into the light what's in the dark. You can't be free. That is enemy talk. That's not what you have offered to you in Jesus. You have one who is the carrier of all sin, of all shame, so that you can be free. You have one who's come down into the water to take you out. And the Father, specifically, I want to say this from the Father from the text, when he's saying, 
this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He wants to say that over you today. He wants to say, this is my son, the inheritor in the household. This is my daughter. I dignify you as a woman. I dignify you as a man. I want to say over you that you are mine. I want to say over you that I delight in you. It can be very hard to hear when you know yourself. Uh, the American humorist Oliver Wendell Holmes said, it's very complicated uh, trying to figure out your own identity because you have too many people at the table when there's a conversation. He says, when, when John and Thomas are talking together, there are at least six personalities to be distinctly recognized as taking part in that dialogue. One, the real John, known only to his maker. Two, John's ideal John, never the real one, and often very unlike him. Three, Thomas's ideal John, never the real John, nor John's John, but very unlike either. And then you've got the same thing going on with Thomas. You've got how you define you, you've got how you are perceived by people, and how you really are. Now, what I'm saying when I'm saying to you, hear this today, that you are delighted in by God because of Jesus Christ, that gives you the one that you don't have access to. That's the, that's the real John. That's how the maker actually sees him. And that's because of this identification of Jesus with humanity. So, what I'd say to you, <laughs> just to labor this one more, because I know that it's hard to let go of these things. It's hard to let go if you think that you've got a claim to not being accepted by God. I just want to say, don't argue with God. Don't argue with him. If he has said over you, you are righteous in Christ, so I'm speaking especially to Christians now, those who identify with Christ but still feel a hangover from the past, still feel trouble from the distant uh, actions that you've done. Are you in Christ? Then you're a new creation. You are free. You're set free for freedom. You're not set free to go and pretend to be a slave. Because by pretending to be a slave, you're arguing with the verdict that's been given by God. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. He's pleased with you. Loves you. That's not blasé. It's not, it's not just calling black white. He's changing you. He's causing your appetites to change. He's causing you to get more sensitive. That can be really painful because, you, you know, he, he, he won't do all the changes in your life that he would action in one go because it would blow your mind. It would be blown to bits, wouldn't you? But you will find that he just peels off the layers, peels off the layers, gets rid of the muck, cleans you, frees you progressively, gently, kindly, establishes you, causes you to stand, all because you're in Christ. So let's move on to look at what the Father says. I've said it a little bit already. The Son is identified with us in going to the water. The Father identifies the Son saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. But why does he do it at this point? Good to ask yourself questions of the text. He could say it when, uh, when he's born. He'd just be like, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. What's happening here that caused the cry of heaven, causes God to shout in public? It doesn't normally work this way. It's unusual that he would do this. In Isaiah 42, verse 1, he says this, Behold my servant. Behold, again, it's like, look, here he is. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. 
Again, can you believe Isaiah is not in the New Testament? I vote that we you know, promote it. In 42, what you've got right here, what you've got right here is the very description of the very act that Jesus is walking through. The delighting of the Father in the Son, who will bring justice to the nations, who's going who's to make all things new for all people as well. And he's saying, look at him. He says it at this moment here, when Jesus has walked into the sewer, when Jesus has identified with all of the detritus of humanity, gone down into that dirty water, that even John recognizes he didn't have to. In and of himself, he's like, this, this is not for you. And Jesus says, no, it is for me. This is, this is what's right. This is the fulfillment. And the father at that point says, this is my son. He sees, and I want you to see today as we look at the three persons of the Trinity, the unity of the Trinity as well, the oneness of God. Because when God looks and he sees grace being shown, totally undeserved grace and favor being shown by Jesus to these people, he says, that looks like me. He looks on it and he says, that's my son. This is the Son of God. Son of God doesn't just mean a descendant of God or something like that. It's a technical term that means the Messiah. It means the, the promised king, the Christ. He's saying, he's saying over him right now, this is Yahweh incarnate. This is the everlasting God coming into temporal time and space to identify, to stand alongside you, to take the sin, to pay the price, to pray for you in the heavens right now. This, that's it. That's my son. He wants you to see. If you have your Bible, triple underline it. That's my son. That's it. That's the emphasis. This. All the other stuff, yeah, he's walking with flawless obedience. He's, go, he's going to Egypt. He's, do, he's coming out of Egypt. But when he goes to the baptism, this is my son. This is it. And this is the delight that he has and the Holy Spirit there as a witness and shown of the words that are being shown by the Father. You have the Word and the Spirit present. And what I want to do now is to look at that Spirit because that's kind of our portion. That's how we come into this whole deal. It's that same Holy Spirit that descended on Jesus Christ as the dove who comes from communes with the people of God here this morning, who's moving your heart personally, who's going to be present with us as we take the communion, take the Lord's Supper, we celebrate him. The spirit amongst the people of God, the mark of the church throughout all of the ages. It's that same Holy Spirit of adoption. You could call it the family likeness. It says in Romans 8 verse 15, speaking to Christians, you didn't receive the spirit of slavery, and we've talked about that, to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons. Adoption as sons. Can you be any more identified with a parent than being adopted, than being brought in? It goes almost deeper than just a natural birth. It's a, it's a choosing on the behalf of the parent. No, you, you specifically. I choose you, I commit myself to you utterly. 
I'll bless you, I won't curse you. All of this stuff goes along with it. The Holy Spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba, the common word, Dad. Scandalous that you're you're calling the Holy God, Dad, that you're referring to him with respect and awe, but with intimacy and closeness, that he's the one who invites you to come speak to him, who delights in your talk, who delights in your prayers, who loves it when you turn to him. Think again about that prodigal father, the lavish father in the story. When the lost son returns, the lost son's in an internal monologue. He's saying to himself, maybe I can jest about if I grovel enough, be allowed to eat with the pigs, the dirty pigs. Instead, what happens is the father comes down, hitches up his garment, which is undignified, very undignified, and runs, runs to him, puts the ring on his finger, has the party. Wow, dude, can you, can you get your head around it? We, 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 in the natural, would think, well, okay, at my best, I might accept him back. He's going to be dragged over the coals for a bit first. We'll remind him of it periodically as well. That's not what God says, this is my son over. That's not, the, that's not how God deals with us. He says, this is my son over free grace being shown. Over free grace, over slates being wiped clean, over sins being confessed and dealt with, forgiven, completely forgiven. Do you know you can do that today when we come to pray? You can come, you can confess your sins to one another and be healed. That's what the scripture says. It's not, it's not and be, be uh, mocked or shamed or dragged through the mud. Be healed. That's who we have. That's, that is the one who has called us sons. And I say sons here respectfully. As you hear, he cares about who you are. He cares if you're a daughter. He cares if you're a son. Why Paul uses the word sons there is that the sons are the inheritors, the ones to whom everything belongs. That's what's being said. And that's as true for you if you're a daughter of the king or if you're a son of the king here today. Actually, you're brought in with full rights of inheritance. So there are a couple of things that are incumbent on us. First, please see the visceral nature of this identification with us. He withholds nothing. He withholds nothing. He identifies to the utmost. To the point where, look at, think about the expression on John the Baptist's face. The, the shock that this Messiah, who he knows to be the Messiah, is going to do this shameful thing. To come and be counted amongst the transgressors. John's learning. John's learning some stuff. He's going to learn more. As it goes on, he's going to learn more, but it's all completely coherent with the Messiah who was predicted by God. It's such good news for us that we have one like this. There's responses that need to come for us. There's responses today. I'd have to ask you, have you been baptized in the water? Have you identified yourself? Have you raised the flag to say, I'm a Christian? That's, that's the baptism in water. Raising the flag, saying, yes. He's identified with me. I'm doing the small thing now. I'm doing the small thing and identifying with him. He's done the huge thing. Consider it. Come and ask us about it. Make sure that you've 
not just ticked a mental box, but that you have publicly declared the one who has absolutely, cosmically publicly declared you. Okay? And then there's the being filled with the Holy Spirit. This same Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, Spirit of Jesus, as he's called. And we're told that we should go on being filled with the Spirit. It says, be being filled with the Spirit. And you could discount yourself from the great goodness of that life that God wants to lavish on you day on day, either by thinking it's not for me. You know, I, I, I think that might be for other uber-Christians or something. Or by thinking, well, that happened back in 1999, and it was very nice. And I enjoyed it very much. No, no, be being filled with the Holy Spirit, the life of God. When you think about what's being said, you get behind the words and get to the actual thing that's being said. It's saying, be empowered, be immersed in the power of the living God today. The joy of the living God today. Are you feeling sad as a Christian? Are you feeling distant from him? Are you feeling pressured? Again, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Pray with each other for this filling. Enjoy it. In the midst of tragedy, in the midst of sorrow, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the lifter of your head. He wants to do you good. He wants to bless you to make you a blessing. I'll end by just reading this scripture from Acts 17. This is Paul speaking to people who don't know Jesus, who, who don't know even the Jewish faith. And he explains it to them like this. He says, look, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined and allotted the periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. He's not ignorant of how you came to be and how you come to be here today. He allotted those times. He's in control. And he's compassionate in control. He did this that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. That's why we have as our strapline helping people find their way back to God. We recognize ourselves in this church as a people who have been found by God. You know, <laughs> found by God. You just, just say it. Sounds like a little thing. Found by God. We've been found by God. We've been purchased by him, brought to God. So we, we take it very seriously that we're in a position to help people find their way back to God. And that's what can happen here today. That they feel their way toward him and find him, yet he's actually not far from each one of us today. And let me end with this. You might think that he's distant. You might think that he's far off, that he's looking at your life perhaps, not really liking what he sees, and he's just there judging. He's standing over it. This scripture tells you the truth. He's not far from you. So if you think that he's distant, if you think he's holding you at arm's length because of your sin, because of your shame, know today that he's not far from you. He's that same Lord who went down into the sin, into the mess. He enters in to lift you up today. Or you might think that actually it's not, not that I don't believe that he's not far, I just don't think that he's fair. I think he's not fair. He might be near, but I don't think that he's gentle. I don't think that he's compassionate to me. I don't think that he's got true just justice. 
Now, there's a day coming when he will sum up all things. And this is what John was looking for. John was looking for that second coming of the Lord where everything would be summed up and every tear wiped away and justice dispensed. And he found out that actually, no, Jesus has got a period of time between his first coming and his second coming where he's gathering people in, where he's showing grace, where he's building lives, where he's establishing the rule of the kingdom of God. And he's doing it with ultimate wisdom and patience. So if you're tempted to think that he's not fair today, realize that the not far identification deals with the not fair accusation. If you're worried about who you are, if you're worried about how you can be identified and what you should identify as even in this life, just know that his identifying with speaks to the depth of our identifying as and is full of joy and hope for you this morning.